0: prayer. It's telling God what we need and expecting God to provide or at least that's the general assumption we make about it isn't it? It seems to be what Jesus means surely when he says you will receive what you ask for, you will find that for which you search and when you knock the door will open and you will be answered. Except that That's not how it works, is it? At least that's not how it works in my life. I have asked, and you have, for very deep, important things. Knocked and knocked and knocked for the healing of somebody for whom we love deeply. And we've searched and been met with silence. Well, what we've been told so often is that the reason for that is because we don't have enough faith. Or we haven't been persistent enough in our prayers. Or we've gotten an answer, but we're too blind faithfully to see it. There is an answer, but we haven't understood it. Or there is an answer, but the answer is no. But what if we're praying for something vitally important? The terminal illness of a child... Or the peace of Ukraine? How can the answer... What's going on here? Is it really that we're that faithless? What if we've got the whole thing wrong? What if prayer is not to do with asking and receiving? Telling God what we need and then expecting those things to to be supplied. This is what Jesus says at the beginning of our reading. When you pray, say, Father... Holy be your name, your kingdom come. Prayer, particularly in Luke's gospel, is all about the kingdom. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God in Luke. Now the kingdom, the term kingdom, it was just the dominant way that people governed were governed in the ancient Near East. In fact, for much of human history. Roman emperors were kings. They didn't like to use the term king. They had a bit of a falling out with kings and the idea of them just before the Roman Republic began. But by the time we got to Caesar, to Julius Caesar and to Augustus, um, they'd they'd gotten back to the idea of one powerful man in charge of everyone else. But they called him emperor because they were still a bit touchy about the term king. But the whole idea was that's how you ran the world. So when Jesus uses the term kingdom of God, he is not being religious. He's not saying, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a kind of a morality of God or a little kind of friendly community of God. No, he used the term kingdom. What Jesus was talking about was the real world in real time. He was not being religious. He was being real and practical. We would say today the commonwealth of God or the republic of God, or the nation of of God. That is what Jesus was talking about. And this is how he decides, how he tells us the kingdom of God is looking. Right at the beginning of his ministry, it says, The spirit of the Lord is upon upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Well, the only good news that the poor are ever going to receive to be good news, as Gandhi said, the only way you can bring good news to a starving person is in the form of bread. He's going to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. Where does Jesus live? In oppression. Roman oppression. This is what the world of God looks like. It is a real, alive, functioning place, not some kind of religious ideal. This is the way... Jesus not only says this is the way the world should be, but he says this is the way the world actually is in its true reality. And this is the way the world... This is the way Jesus lives in the world, as if it were really that way. Jesus makes it plain in our reading. It is the world or kingdom of enough. (coughs) Give us each day our daily bread, Jesus says, if we're talking about prayer. Of course, we know the world has enough. We know Australia is one of the richest nations on the planet. Our problem is not, not enough, it's about distribution. The world of God is a world of enough. The world of God is a world of kindness and mercy. Forgive us our sins, Jesus says. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's the world as it truly is, according to Jesus, a world of mercy and kindness and forgiveness. Forgiveness frees the one forgiven, but forgiveness also frees the one doing the forgiving because you let go of the hurt and the slight it's also a world of justice and peace do not bring us jesus says to the time of trial do not bring us into into the trials of uh, of ordinary life like it it ought to be a place of and it is a place of justice and peace that's the world that jesus talks about that's the kingdom of god but then he tells us a story that we know all too well it's a contrast story To what Jesus is saying, the world of God is. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. Here is the world we know, a world of scarcity and inequality. Somebody has no bread, somebody else has, and he's being asked for it. Some are plenty, some go begging. This is the world we know, this is the world we saw on the news last night, this is the world we understand. Not the world Jesus is talking about. Do not bother me. The door is already been locked. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. We know this world. It's the world of self-interest and exclusion. We know the world, this world, because we live in it and we enact it. We have our own self-interest and our own exclusions. Piss off we're full, the signs say to people who are working with refugee and asylum seekers. We know that world. The housing crisis that we're suffering at the moment. We know that world. There's no daily bread and no community. The door is locked. We know this story. This is the world we know, but it's not the truth of the world as Jesus has it. The kingdom world of God. The truth of the world as God made it is, what we know from the very first story. God did it and saw that it was good over and over again. Right to the very end where in the seventh day of creation God did it, things were created and God said it is very good. The goodness of the world is not defeated by the tawdry story that we know of inequality and scarcity and self-interest and exclusion. The goodness of the world is not defeated by that. Not the way Jesus talks about it. Martin Luther King is famous for quoting a 19th century sermon in which he says, The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. It's slow. It takes a long time. But this is the reality of the world. It is, as God says, good. Or there's another saying that I like a lot and it really kind of says the same thing but not in quite as much elegance as Martin Luther King. It will be all right in the end. If it's not all right, it's not. This is what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is not coming with things that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is. For in fact, the kingdom of God is already among, or could read, within you. It's already present. The world as God has always meant it to be, the kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about, that's released to the captives, sight to the blind, and freedom to the oppressed, and good news to the poor, it's here now. It's already present. It's deeply a part of us. It's part of what um, theologians have called the original blessing, the goodness of all things. And it's even here in this mean little story, even operating out of pure self-interest, Even though he will not get up, the story says, and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. Even here, bread still arrives. Even here, it can't be undone. The goodness of the world can't be totally undone by all the rubbish and nonsense of this terrible little story. Remember, this is a story based in the uh, the ancient Near East where hospitality was the fundamental uh, building block of all culture. The idea that you would not give when you could to your neighbour, your friend, makes this story a shocking story to be told. Yet even here in in the rubble of culture, which is what it is, a, a collapsed culture, is the only place a story like this would make any sense. Even here, even in this distorted culture where we, we reward wealth with more wealth in our culture all the time. Even here, a parent knows the difference between a snake and a fish. Even here, even in all this nonsense, a parent knows the difference between an egg and a scorpion. Prayer is not asking God for things. It is living in the world as it truly is. It is living the truth of the world as it really is. It is living in it. It is having it live within you. It's sort of marinating in it. Prayer is not a thing we do. It's a world we inhabit. This is why Jesus in Luke spends so much time by himself in in prayer. The text says there's three or four times where it mentions it. Well, what's he doing? Is he asking God for a whole list of things? We could do that anywhere. What he's doing, in my view, is he's sitting gently, quietly, reverently, trying to understand in the smallest way possible for a human being, even a glorious human being like Jesus, what it possibly means to live in the goodness of the world, to live in the truth of the world, to live in the mercy and kindness of the world. He's living in it. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Ask to receive the world as it truly, really, radically is, the way God made it. Ask and you will receive it. Your eyes will be open to how it really is, how you really are. It turns out that you... <coughs> are a gift of God to the rest of us. It turns out you are made like God. It turns out that if God has a fridge, stuck to the fridge is a picture of you that he looks at every day. That's what's going on here. Ask and you will begin to see. Search and you will find. Knock and it will all be open to you the door of what um, other faiths, we don't use this term much in Christianity, but enlightenment. You will be enlightened into the true meaning of the world. This is what Jesus means when he says, "Your father knows how to give you good gifts and will give you A or V, depending on the text uh, on the translation. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the sense and the truth of the. It becomes a part of you, the, the reality of the way the world is. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, The Holy Spirit will come and will lead you into all truth, the way things as they really are. Not the way things as they're supposed to be by some law or decree or creed, but things as they truly, deeply are. And how are they? The world is a creation of God, it is goodness through and through, even you, goodness, through and through, even me, and you don't know how crappy I really am because, you know, I scrub up okay, don't I? Most of us do. You haven't got a clue. I'm learnt. I'm a good Anglo-Saxon. I've learnt to be polite and nice. You don't know the turmoil that goes on in my mind night and day, particularly 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm not sleeping, and I don't know what it is for you, but underneath all of that is this goodness. That's the spirit of truth. That's what's opened to everyone. The good gifts to everyone. I I shouldn't sure I believe this stuff. Like I'm saying it, you know, but in the heart of me it's going, yeah, but that's for you lot. It's for special people, for really nice people, not for me. But what if it's true? What if it's, what if it's really true? I think that's what's being opened up to us. That's what we're in, being invited into. That's what Jesus means, I think, by the kingdom or the world or the commonwealth of God. and stop there